Another day of the offseason, another free agent starting pitcher signed by a team not named the Orioles. And the O's, they're just missing out on guys. And, and it makes you question at this point, are they going to sign anyone this offseason? Have they learned from mistakes of the past under the Angelos family when they didn't capitalize on good seasons with Dan Duquette and Buck Showalter? We'll take a look at those past mistakes and talk about how the O's can fix it this year. Coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Thursday, December 15th, 2022. And welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we're going to do a little bit of a blast from the past, taking a look at some Orioles off-seasons from the past, specifically two off-seasons coming off of great years, great and somewhat surprising years, that really set the O's back. The off-season after 2012 and the off-season after 2014. The O's had 90-plus win seasons each of those years when not a lot of people expected them to win 90-plus games both those seasons. But the O's didn't do any adding in the off-seasons afterwards and ended up with really disappointing seasons in 2013 and 2015. So we'll take a look at what they did then versus what they're doing now and how it compares and how the O's could maybe fix it, at least somewhat, here this offseason. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. Before we get there, did just want to thank you for making Locked On Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. Free and available on all podcast listening platforms. Make sure to subscribe, rate, review on Apple Pods or Spotify. And like, comment, subscribe to the Locked On Orioles YouTube channel as well. Again, next week, we go back to three episodes a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday throughout the rest of the offseason. But we thank you for tuning in, and we'll still have all the O's offseason content right here on the pod if they add any players. We'll still have podcasts if they don't, but hopefully they do. But that's what I wanted to get to on this episode because the frustration continues to grow. As we knew, the Orioles coming into this offseason were looking for and probably needed Two veteran starting pitchers. Now they got one, you know, before the winter meetings, Kyle Gibson on a one-year $10 million deal. We all said, you know what? Fine. Seems like a perfect guy. Uh, uh, maybe not a huge upgrade, but an upgrade over Jordan Lyles. He takes the Jordan Lyles role. He eats some innings. He's the four or five starter. That's great. We got the secondary option. Now let's look at all these guys out there. Who is going to be that top option that maybe starts opening day? And well, all the names have seemingly come off the board. As of recording here, about 8 p.m. Eastern time on Wednesday night, Carlos Rodon is still out there. Nathan Eovaldi is still out there. However, we saw Noah Syndergaard sign a one-year $13 million deal with the Dodgers. And a must lesser option, but still an option, we saw Michael Lorenzen sign a one-year $8.5 million deal with the Detroit Tigers. So two more free agent starting pitchers who are going to get major league deals and can help teams are off the board. And if you go back and listen to Wednesday's episode, I talked about Nathan Eovaldi specifically, how he could still be the guy, and he is still out there. And I've heard the Orioles are interested. And they've definitely checked in and continue to check in with Carlos Rodon, although I think the seven-year, you know, $220 million contract he wants, the Orioles aren't going to pay. But when you look at it, the starting pitching continues to dwindle. 
and the Orioles only have Kyle Gibson. And it really makes you think back to off-seasons of past, because this is the first off-season for Mike Elias and crew where they have any expectations to really sign players to make the team better. Coming off an 83-79 and 79 season, in the playoff race, he says liftoff. It's time to at least make this team better and compete for the postseason from the start in 2023. But we saw the last regime, Dan Duquette and Buck Showalter, under the same ownership, under the same Angelo's family, maybe more so Peter than John, but still, be in similar situations. And that first situation I wanted to start with was 2012. Because the 2012 Orioles were amazing. Still my favorite Orioles team I've seen in my lifetime. 15 consecutive losing seasons coming in. Not since they had made the ALCS in 1997 had they had a winning season. Almost out of nowhere, the O's go 93-69. and 69. They make the first ever AL wildcard game. They win the first ever AL wildcard game in Texas. And then they take the big bad Yankees to a decisive game five in the ALDS. They lose that game. They had a chance really to win that series. They didn't do it. But they showed the Orioles are finally back. What a season it was. We saw a young core come together. You know, with Adam Jones, Nick Markakis, Matt Wieters, Chris Davis, J.J. Hardy, Manny Machado, all in that lineup. And you felt like the O's are back. But you still looked at that team and you said, they got some offensive problems. The Orioles were ranked right around the middle of the pack. They were 15th in offense in Major League Baseball in 2012. Starting pitching was all right, but it needed some upgrades. Now, some of this was because the O's just pitched on rotation, but... They had Joe Saunders start the wildcard game. Did he pitch well? Yeah, five and a third, one run. Gave the O's a chance to win that game that they did in Texas. You should have a playoff team pitching Joe Saunders in your winner go home. So we knew, okay, the O's need at least one starting pitcher to upgrade on Saunders and probably two. That was the thought going into the offseason. Kind of similar to this offseason. You had a really strong bullpen. You felt like we don't need to add there. This is our strongest suit, just like the 2022 Orioles. The offense got it done, but could be better. 2022 Orioles and the starting pitching. A lot of young, unproven guys did some things we could probably upgrade, like the 2022 Orioles. So you thought it was the start of a really good window, and it kind of was. I mean, the O's won the most games in the American League from 2012 through 2016. That's a good window. Three out of five years they made the playoffs, but they never quite capitalized because you ask, well, what did the Orioles do in that offseason after 2012, try to build on it, try to win a division heading into the 2013 season? You felt like they needed to upgrade second base. The, the combination of Robert Andino and Ryan Flaherty really gave the Orioles almost nothing that year. And Brian Roberts missed most of the season with injury. Now, Roberts was going to be coming back the next year, but you didn't really know about his injuries. So you thought, eh, maybe we can upgrade. Well... Their upgrade was claiming Alexi Casilla off waivers. They brought him in for $1.7 million to avoid arbitration. And in 62 games, he had a 54 OPS plus. He was 46% worse than the league average hitter. That didn't work. Brian Roberts did come back, but he was 35 years old. He had injury issues again. He played only 77 games, had a 92 OPS plus. Ryan Flaherty was still there, played some solid defense, but didn't hit at all. That trio, and then they added Jonathan Scope right at the end of the year as a September call-up, but none of those guys really produced at that position. They tried to fill in holes with, you might go Navarro and, and other guys in the infield that just didn't work out. They added Mike Morris and Travis Ishikawa and other guys late in that year didn't help. And they didn't add 
really any other bats. The only other bat they added was Danny Valencia. They traded for Danny Valencia for cash considerations. He spent most of the year in AAA, and then he came up in August, and at the end of the year, he lit the world on fire. He played in 52 games and had a 138 OPS+. plus. He was great, especially mashing lefties, but it was too little too late. He really wasn't up for that long, and he still couldn't fill the second base hole. He was more of a third base slash mainly DH. And he said, why didn't the O's add a bat? I mean, yeah, they were getting Nick Markakis back from injury, and they were getting Brian Roberts back from injury. But you felt like you needed to add to that team, and they didn't. Then on the pitching side, you felt they're going to need at least one starter and probably two. Well, the only thing they brought in in the offseason was Freddie Garcia on a minor league deal. He ended up pitching 53 innings for the Orioles that year, mostly as a starter, to a 5.77 ERA. He was on the back end of his career. Yeah, they added in season. They traded for Scott Feldman and Bud Norris, and they added K-Rod and Jair Jurgens during that year. And Norris ended up working out the next year. Feldman was solid, but couldn't get him to the playoffs. And of course, they gave up Arietta, who then went on to win the Cy Young in that deal. But in the offseason, they didn't do anything. Alexei Casilla, Danny Valencia, and Freddy Garcia? That can't be your offseason when you're coming off a year that good. And what happened? The Orioles go minus eight wins. They go 85 and 77, and they miss the playoffs. Now, that team was a little different. They had more of an established core, as I mentioned. Jones, Marquecas, Weeders, Davis, Hardy, Machado, all in that lineup. I don't think the O's right now, this team, 2022, has as many established members of the core. But it was a team that came out of nowhere to be in the playoff race with a young staff that overperformed, with a really good bullpen, and a lineup that had some promise but was overall a little disappointing. Sound familiar? And the O's, they really could have capitalized on 2013 by adding anyone. And they just, they didn't spend, they didn't do it one bit. So you would think, okay, the Orioles see they have a good young core. They see what happens when they don't add. They come back. They win the division with that core in 2014. And you think, all right, They've learned their lesson. They're going to spend after 2014 to go from ALCS to the World Series. Well, they didn't do that either. And coming up next, we'll talk about what happened in that offseason that you could arguably say was even worse than what happened after 2012. But first, you're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many, and as the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride, but nah, you live nearby, you can make it home okay, it's no big deal. What are the odds that you'll get pulled over anyway? Even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up, you lose your license, you lose your job, you total your car, you kill someone? Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. So we're taking a look back at Orioles off seasons of past because I think a lot of people throughout this 
pretty magical 2022 season. Made a lot of comparisons to 10 years before in 2012 when the O's finally broke the, the losing season streak, got to the playoffs, got to the ALDS, had this young core. It was very, very exciting. But as we sit here on December 15th, and the Orioles have only added Kyle Gibson so far this offseason, you can also pull a lot of parallels between what happened in the offseasons after each of those two years. The O's, as we just said, didn't add after 2012, and so far, haven't really added after 2022. So again, they missed the playoffs in 13, but they come back in 14. They make the Nelson Cruz edition, which really helps them out. The young core gets healthy, gets better and better. And 2014 becomes an amazing year. The O's go 96 and 66. They run away with the AL East. I mean, they clinched the division in mid-September. It wasn't even close. They sweep the Tigers in the ALDS. And we know what happens. They get to the ALCS against the Royals, who seemingly couldn't be beat. Just a fluky, weird series. They get swept out of the playoffs. But they had a good year. They had the sixth best offense. They were 12th in starting pitcher ERA. They had a really good bullpen once again. You know, they added to the team down the stretch with, you know, addition like Andrew Miller, who really shored up that bullpen. And they went to work. And you looked at that team and you said, it's six, at least somewhat reliable starters. Yes, Ubaldo Jimenez didn't have a very good year, but Chris Tillman, Bud Norris, Miguel Gonzalez, Wei-Yin Chen, Kevin Gaussman, that was a really good group right there. And you added in at least the veteran Jimenez who could eat you some innings. You felt like you had a good six. But you always wondered, you said, you know, Miguel Gonzalez, he's pitched well, but can he really pitch this well? And is Wei-Yin Chen this good? And, you know, Kevin Gaussman was still essentially a rookie. What, what can we get out of him? And, you know, Chris Tillman, and, and is Bud Norris really this good? But you at least bought in because those guys all pitched out of their minds to will the Orioles into the ALCS. Now, on the offensive side, the offense in 2014, much better than 2012. That's why the O's were so good. And you had Nelson Cruz, but the Orioles weren't willing to give Nelson Cruz a fourth year. And he walks and he goes to Seattle. And eight years later, he's still playing Major League Baseball. Maybe they bring him back this year. Nick Markakis, a free agent. Orioles said, ah, we don't like how the neck looks. You need surgery. Things look bad. Let him walk. Signs with the Braves. Andrew Miller, amazing down the stretch. Nah, we don't want to give that much money to a reliever who's not going to be our closer. Boom, gone. Signs with the Yankees. So you have all those guys gone and you think, all right, the O's are going to at least need an outfielder. Cruz and Marcakis were gone. And you were kind of relying on a patchwork outfield at the end of the year besides Adam Jones. I mean, you lost Marcakis. You had Alejandro Deaza play in left field for you, a, basically a September pickup who just kind of caught fire at the end of the year and, and was starting all the playoff games in left field out of nowhere. And then, you know, you, you had like a returning group of, of Nolan Reimold and, and Delman Young was back and you had David Lowe back and, you know, Steve Pierce was coming off a great year and you, you were hoping Chris Davis would be back. So it probably pushed Pierce to the outfield and you thought maybe we have one of those guys, but none of those guys were proven at all. So you felt like we need an outfielder. The O's added one outfielder. It was a trade for Travis Snyder, who played 69 games, had an 81 OPS plus, and was horrible. The Rymold, Deaza, Young, Low, Pierce combination, not good. None of them were even league average at the plate. Most of them got DFA'd before the season ended. They didn't add an outfielder. They lost Marcakis. They lost Cruz. They didn't add anyone. They traded for Travis Snyder. And they signed Everett Cabrera because J.J. Hardy was a little banged up. Cabrera played 29 games. He basically didn't get a hit. 
and was DFA'd in June. Those were the offensive additions to that team. Now swing it to the pitching side. You could make an argument that the O's didn't need a starting pitcher or reliever. But they lost Andrew Miller. And they had all these pitchers coming off career years. And they got no insurance for them. They didn't bring in anyone, basically, at all. So what happened? You had a lot of aggression with no added depth. Chris Tillman had one of his worst years. Goes down to a 4.99 ERA. Miguel Gonzalez, a 4.11 ERA. Bud Norris just lost everything. A 7.06 ERA and got DFA'd during that season. Wei-Yin Chen was the only one who followed it up with another good season. And then the Orioles didn't sign him after that offseason. He went to Miami. We know he imploded, but they let him walk. Kevin Gosman got better, but not nearly good enough to help the team win. And they added no depth. The team gave Mike Wright nine starts. Rookie Mike Wright, who had a 6.04 big league ERA that year, they gave him nine starts because they had no starting pitching depth behind these guys who came off good years but were kind of unproven and could have regressed. I've talked about that about Dean Kramer, Tyler Wells, Austin Voth, Kyle Bradish. They had some good years, some good moments, but they can regress and you need that depth behind them. I don't know if the O's have that right now. They certainly didn't in 2015. They tried again to add like weird outfield depth and pitchers mostly outfield depth at the deadline. I mean, they brought in Gerardo Parra. He was terrible down the stretch. Remember, I think that was a year that Junior Lake came in. He gave nothing. So you had a gaping hole, really two gaping holes in the outfield, you could argue, on both sides of Adam Jones. And you needed starting pitching. You didn't have any. You go from a 96-win team that wins the division to an 81-81 and squad that had to sweep the Yankees who were resting players the last weekend of the year just to finish 500. And you even got a, a good year of Chris Davis that allowed him to get that big contract. After he was abysmal in 2014, you go 80, you follow up the division win with everybody in Baltimore back on board with an 81 and 81 just stinker of a season. That season stunk. I don't want that to happen again to the Orioles. And again, they had a better young core locked up. It's not like this year they're coming off a division win, still an unexpected 83-win season. And I see people say, well, maybe the front office thinks there's regression coming. I bet they do. I think there's a little regression coming from some players. Not everybody's going to play up to the standards that they did in 2022. But you have to feel like with the Angeloses, they were in control then, 2012, 2014. They're in control now. I know it's not Dan Duquette anymore. It's Mike Elias. But you have to think there'd be some learning from the ownership to say, yeah, we made the playoffs three out of five years, but we had an ALDS exit getting swept in the ALCS and a wildcard game exit. And each time we went to the playoffs, we failed to build on the team that next offseason. We instead said, oh, we got to the playoffs. We can do it again next year with the same squad. That doesn't happen. It can't happen. And you'd have to hope to think that the Angeloses are learning from it. But what have we seen so far a couple months into the offseason? They're not learning from it so far. So coming up next to finish off the pod, we talk about, well, what's next? How do the Orioles at least show something that they're learning from 
those past mistakes. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by BetOnline.net, which is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis this December. We got the World Cup final. It is set. It's France, it's Argentina, it's Messi versus Mbappe, and it's Sunday morning. And you can get the lines and the odds from that game, plus the third place game as well between Morocco. And I'm blanking on who Morocco's playing. And Croatia. Morocco and Croatia. You can get the lines and odds for that one as well at Bet Online. But college football bowl season starts tomorrow. You got the Bahamas Bowl and then a sneaky great bowl game between UTSA and Troy, two of the best G5 teams in the country this year. Lines and odds, bet online for every bowl game through bowl season. Then, of course, the NFL. Got the Ravens playing on a Saturday this weekend. NBA, college basketball, NHL, all of it at betonline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, which I hope you do if you're listening to this one, you can listen to those at BetOnline as well. They've really got it all. For someone who's into sports wagering, the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. That is Bet Online, where the game starts. So the hope would be that the Orioles learned from the offseason after 2012 and learned from the offseason after 2014 and don't make those same mistakes of just sitting on your hands. And I get the teams are built differently. You know, 2012, again, you had a very young team, but... You had a core that had been in the big leagues for a few years. You know, you look at the guys, Jones had, you know, been up since 2008. Mark Hakis has been up for a while at that point. You know, Matt Wieters had been up for three years. Chris Davis, you know, had been up with the Rangers for three years before the Orioles. J.J. Hardy had been in the bigs for a while. You know, really the only stud that had just come up was Manny Machado, who got called up in August. So, yeah, they were a little more seasoned, that team in general. But the O's have some seasoned guys like Mountcastle and Cedric Mullins. Austin Hayes and Anthony Santander, they're not exactly full of rookies. They have a lot of them, but it's not all rookies. And I get 2014 was different because you had more of a veteran squad. Those same hitters were were even more veterans in 2014. You had some starting pitchers who at least had had a couple of good seasons under their belts. But there was still space to add. And the Orioles just, they just chose not to do it. So the question kind of became you know, why didn't they? And really, I think, what's next for the O's now, here going into 2023? Because they still have time. Nathan Eovaldi, Carlos Rodon still out there. They can still trade for guys. Plenty of good pitchers on the trade market. We'll get to that on tomorrow's episode. They've got plenty of prospects to trade away to get them. But you can't just add the Travis Snyders and the Danny Valencias of the world and call it an offseason. It hasn't worked in the past. It's certainly not going to work now when you're coming from further behind the eight ball. You know, at least those last two teams were 90-plus win teams. It's an 83-win team that didn't make the playoffs. They, you could say, need more additions. And I understand prospects are coming. Prospects weren't coming as much back in 2012. And, you know, in 2012, you had Manny Machado up. I mean, you were waiting on Dylan Bundy and Kevin Gosman, but Bundy was undergoing Tommy John, and, you know, Gosman was still a, a year away. And I get that, but generally, you didn't have these super exciting prospects. I mean, it was really Scope, Bundy, and Gosman that were coming, but the Orioles have a bigger, probably more talented group right now. So I 100% get that. You know, Grayson Rodriguez hasn't even pitched in the bigs. you get the full season of D.L. Hall, maybe Westberg, Ortiz, Kowser. I understand. That's more talent in the minors than the O's 
even close to had in 2012 and 2014. I understand that. And I get they'll get more help from that group. But you still can't rely on that many rookies. And that's the thing I've talked about. They've, again, Syndergaard and Lorenzen off the board on Wednesday. This time tomorrow when I'm talking to you, Ivaldi could be off the board. Rodon could be off the board. Michael Waka, kind of the next best option. He could be off the board too. Now, to give a little bit of credit to the Angeloses and Dan Duquette, first of all, Duquette was great at kind of finding diamonds in the rough talent-wise to, to build around the edges of those Orioles teams. But what they also did well, the combo of Duquette and really Andy McPhail before him and the Angeloses, they did extend their own guys. Adam Jones got an extension. Nick Markakis got an extension. You know, Chris Davis got an extension. J.J. Hardy got an extension. Now, they didn't extend Machado, which ended up being an issue, and they didn't extend Gosman or Bundy or Scope and traded that entire core away. But a lot of those guys got contract extensions. Even Matt Wieters didn't get an extension, but they gave him the qualifying offer to bring him back for 2016, which really helped the Orioles make the wild card that year. So at least they were able to do that and were willing to do that and, and shell out some money for these players to at least keep the band together. And that kind of brings me to the last point of, well, what can the O's do to at least start to turn in the right direction? If you're not going to make these free agent signings, I think the trades would be the best way to go. You got a lot of prospect capital. There's more players available because you can, you know, you could trade for anyone. You can only sign the free agents that are free agents. But a great first step to at least show us that you're willing to spend some money somewhere is extending Adley Rutschman this offseason in line with those other extensions. And they waited a bit. You know, guys like Jones who waited for him to play in the big leagues for a little bit. But it wasn't even a full season, I know. But Adley, I think, showed you that he's going to be the best catcher in baseball probably by this time next year, if he's not already. Get that big extension out to Adley Rutschman. If you're not going to pay the money to outside guys, at least show us that you're willing to spend any money. At least show us that you're willing to spend money on the guy who's going to be the cornerstone face of your franchise, hopefully for 10, 15 plus years. At least show us that. Because I do think if the Orioles end this offseason and the only things they do are two, one, sign Kyle Gibson, and two, extend Adley Rutschman for nine years. I think fans will generally have a positive outlook because if you can lock up Adley Rutschman, it takes up all the horrors of past Manny Machado, gets you so excited to have Adley in Baltimore for a long time, and then it starts to show other free agents next year that, hey, we locked up our stud, we'll maybe keep locking up our studs, and now you can come know that you'll play with these guys for years to come. So I think at the least... They could do that and stay consistent with what they were doing back then. Yeah, they weren't adding after these good seasons, but at least they were locking up their guys. No indications that the Angeloses and Elias are even doing that now. And that just adds to the frustration. And I hope, you know, I hope I'm not sounding too annoyed as you listen to me on this podcast. And I'm, my frustration isn't coming across too much and I'm sounding whiny or anything, but it's frustrating. And I think a lot of you are frustrated too. And I get there's a lot of offseason. Evaldi's still out there. Still plenty of trades they can make. And if they do those things, you could flip this narrative right on its head. But a lot of pitchers have signed. And although, you know, I had heard that the Orioles did have, you know, a two-year offer out to Noah Syndergaard. He said he took that one-year deal with the Dodgers, despite reports saying that he had multiple two-year offers. 
because he knows the Dodgers have that pitching factory. They bring guys in on one-year deals. They fix their careers. And those guys, like Andrew Haney and Tyler Anderson and others the last couple of years, then go get paid the next offseason. That's what Syndergaard wants to do. And fair. But it feels like if the O's would have offered a little more money on two years, they maybe could have pried him away. Maybe not. But it sounds like they offered two years. It just wasn't enough to keep him from that one-year deal in Los Angeles. So they're trying a little bit. They had, you know, it sounded like they had an offer out to Bassett and an offer out to Syndergaard. And they are looking at a guy like Eovaldi. And, you know, I've heard about interest in Seth Lugo and Corey Kluber. And obviously they've, you know, been checking in on Rodon and talking with him and Jamison Tyone. They had an offer on the board. It was only two years, I think, but they had an offer. So they're playing a little bit, but I mean, Angelos has opened the checkbook a little bit. Because if 2012 and 2014 tell you anything, you can't just be satisfied with one good year and think it'll keep coming. You got to keep adding, keep getting the team better. Because the goal is to win a championship. And right now, at times, it doesn't feel like that's the goal from the people at the very top. But as I talked about, even if the O's don't do it in free agency, they can still do trades. And coming up tomorrow, we're going to take a look at potential trade suitors for the Orioles, especially when it comes to adding starting pitching. And one guy we're going to get to tomorrow, Marco Gonzalez of the Seattle Mariners. Mariners apparently are listening to offers on him. He's been okay the last couple of years, but pretty cheap contract, a lefty, and I think still has some good years in him to be at least a solid contributor. So tomorrow, we'll talk about how the O's could go about trading for a starting pitcher. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb. And this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.